0: Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Alex Salzberg, and uh, this is I Loved This Conversation, where I talk to fellow creative people about what they're currently going through in their creative lives. I'm recording this on a back porch, like kind of in the woods in New Hampshire. Uh, We're visiting my parents, and it's really, really nice. You might hear, uh, I'm not sure if it'll pick up, but there's like a breeze, there's birds and crickets chirping, which is like such good timing because uh, what I've been going through in my creative life is like, just near complete burnout. I just had two major deadlines in a row, one uh, for storyboarding a 20-minute film and one right afterward for animating um, another one-minute film. So my fellow animators will understand exactly how tired I was, just how completely dead I was. In the interest of using this break to uh, recharge my creative energy, I don't really have anything else to say about this. I guess all I'll say is, If you feel like no matter how hard you work to retain balance, your creative life still has periods where you bite off more than you can chew and you spend a couple weeks hunched over your tablet or whatever you do artwork on until your brain just kind of feels fried or like it's melting to the bottom of your skull, um, you're not alone. But let's just uh, let's relax. Let's relax. Pretend you're on a back porch too. And let's listen to my conversation with Sarah E. Jenkins. Sarah is a multidisciplinary artist, uh, an experimental animator, working in stop-motion, drawing, uh, social practice. We'll talk about a lot of those things. They are also a fellow animation professor, which we touch on. This conversation, recorded back in April, uh, when I still hadn't named this podcast, uh, went to so many interesting places. We talked about how it feels to be like really deep in a project in good ways and bad. How hard it can be to finish personal projects, especially after years and years. We talk about writing about ourselves as artists, which can be really hard. Uh, we talk about social media. And one of my favorite parts of this conversation was hearing about Sarah's rural Appalachian upbringing uh, and how it influenced both her creative life as well as her identity and approach to politics. Um, And and if that sounds too intellectual for you, don't worry, stay tuned. We also talk about uh, cat backpacks. So like we always do at the beginning of this podcast, uh, let's meet our guest and hear about how they know me.
1: Yeah. Hi, my name is... Sarah E. Jenkins and I know you from Leslie University. That's where we first met. Yes. And um, I think commiserating over that job was how we first became friends. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. We... Um. And so that's how we met, and then, yeah, became pals.
0: All right. Now I'm going to open with a. Big question, but I am also going to have to answer it later. What is something you are going through currently in your creative life, and/or where your creative life overlaps with your entire life? So it could be a problem you're trying to solve, a decision you're trying to make, something you're feeling weird and angsty about.
1: The first thing that came to mind is that I have been so I've been working on this film, Disappearing Acts, for like four years, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a really short animation. So it feels, I feel a lot of pressure about that. And so I'm in this place of like basically being done enough with it, even to the point that it's in an exhibition right now, but still needs a final few like tweaks to the sound and just like fine edits. And I'm having a really hard time getting over the hump of saying this is done because Mm. I've been working on it. For so long <laughs> that I'm just, like, the pressure has built up where I'm like, this needs to be perfect. It's been so long for a three-minute film. Um, and, of course, I know that's not helpful, but that's kind of how I've been thinking of it. And it's been really tough right. to get it done.
0: But you feel like the pressure is more because of how short the film is? I
1: think that's part of it, yeah, is that I'm like, what do I have to show for the all these years of animating this thing, I'm not even sure how to describe it, but it's almost like, yeah, it needs to be something extra, extra, extra special Mm. because it took so long to make this little thing. This is
0: something I'm so curious about. I think you and I approach films differently in that I think a lot of my work is more traditionally narrative and your work is more non-narrative. Something I'm mystified by from the outside, it's like, how do you know when a non-narrative film is finished? Where I relate is that I never feel like anything I make is finished. I mm-hmm. think most artists can relate on that, but I can at the very least be like, okay, well, every part of the narrative is there.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think that is that is absolutely what is hard about it, is with this particular project, I started it as just a bunch of experiments and I had no idea what form it would take in the end. Mm-hmm. And just kept rolling with that and making a bunch (laughs) of um, shots and then kind of thinking about structure a little, but there was no overarching story, really. A very vague one. I could have just kept shooting animation forever. And if it was me, I would have kept doing that because that's the fun part for me. But then I was (laughs) like, I need to probably stop animating because I, A, I don't know what this is going to look like. B, maybe I should figure that out. Right. It was actually getting a little bit scary like okay this is really fun (laughs) but where are we going here um so it was pretty much exactly like that where i started out with all this energy and just having a blast animating and just experimenting my heart out and then when i had to start putting it together that's when it became like tough
0: When, when you said it started to get scary what was that a fear of
1: anxiety of you know is am i making all this animation which is great and worthwhile, but like, is it going to turn into a project? And I was just like, I don't know if this is going to be something or not. So I think that's what it was. Just like the anxiety of like, oh, but I want to keep doing this.
0: I imagine there must be some feeling associated when you're like really in that world with those materials.
1: Like, I'm like, this is so fun. That's how it feels. Um, Like, I make myself giggle when I'm animating because (laughs) I'm like, I'm literally painting on logs. This is really funny and surreal and playful feels kind of like I'm in this like world of tricks that I get to make mm. or like a world of magic or something like that. I feel like I'm getting away with stuff.
0: I was trying to explain this to someone recently, actually. So this is the third episode of this that I've recorded and I've been editing the other two. And I also have been having this feeling while doing it of like, like I'm getting away with something and that I'm enjoying living in the world of each audio thing so much that when I'm doing something else, I just want to like sneak back off into that world. And I also felt the same way when I was writing a a bunch of scripts last summer for a personal project. I was trying to describe to someone, I think the words I use, like, I need a project that where I feel like a sneaky boy, like where (laughs) I sneak off. So I don't know if that's what you meant.
1: Wow. I love the sneaky boy <laughs> idea so much because I also want to feel like a sneaky boy.
0: It's a great feeling. Yeah.
1: Um, stop motion or animation, I mean, in general can feel like a solo activity a lot, right? Yeah. Of Like working in your little room at your desk with your stuff, looking <laughs> in your screens. Um but whenever I'm doing stop motion in particular, I do feel like I want to be closed off from the world. Like I'm in a little, I, like a stop motion cave. Mm. Um, yeah, doing my sneaky stuff. And just, <laughs> I, I would love to hang out there. Yeah, it's it's super fun. I have to say I haven't animated in a bit since I've been doing editing and sound. And I do, I do miss it.
0: Right. Is that the thing you miss the most? Like the actual physical animation? Like, do you miss any of the editing or sound when you're animating?
1: Nope. <laughs> My absolute favorite thing to do is is the, yeah, stop yeah. motion. Yeah.
0: How do you want to share these films? What impact do you hope they make, if any? What sort of validation do you want from them?
1: hmm I think with this film in particular, with Disappearing Acts, I really want to do the festival run thing Mm -hmm. this time. Part of that is because the film will just look and sound really, really good in a theater. The whole experience is more crafted around a theater viewing. Yeah. What I sort of want to get from an audience, I mean, I find a lot of delight in people... Showing delight or surprise,
0: yeah, or having
1: questions, even like, I actually really like that. I think that animation and particularly stop motion, at least the type I do where there's some amount of like trickery involved, Mm -hmm. it creates a lot of curiosity in the audience, which I think is so special. And then there's also like the more conceptual side of it, which is interesting to me as well, like, um, thinking about like extraction and, um, the idea of disappearance of natural resources and stuff like that there's also that kind of read where you know which might come up like in a museum exhibition or something
0: do you identify as a fine artist
1: um i identify as an artist i do still use the term fine artist sometimes to make distinctions mm-hmm. but i've been doing that less and less and part of that comes from this idea of like separating out animation from fine art for example mm. that's a little frustrating to me and i don't really like that so like if i'm teaching students in animation who might be in a program that's like more commercially based let's say they might feel that the fine art side of it feels inaccessible right. or that they don't know how to talk about it or relate to it somehow and then on the fine art side If I tell someone that I'm an animator, which I tell people all the time, that they might just automatically think that the work I'm doing maybe isn't in the quote unquote fine art world or that it's not higher level art somehow.
0: I feel like a lot of animation programs are having an identity crisis between those two things, which um, maybe shouldn't butt heads, but that idea of like animation as this commercial job path. Mm -hmm. and then animation as an art form. And I think students are maybe getting lost in that. If you're going to school for engineering, there's an implication that you're 100% just, you're going there so you can get a job in engineering. And if you're going to school for painting, there's an implication that you're not quote unquote getting a job in painting. Hopefully that will be part of your career. But... um, You're painting and it's more about the art of painting. But I think animation school exists in this like nether realm. And I think that there can be a lot of tension with like students and teachers. And I don't know the solution, but I'm curious if that resonates at all.
1: Mm -hmm. That does resonate. Yeah, I do think about this a lot. And I think like having a little bit more of an integrated approach could potentially help with this whole issue a little bit.
0: The students that feel this urgency about like, well, I have to get a job, you know, um, how do we acknowledge that pressure and then also still kindle their love of like creating?
1: Yeah, that's so hard. Um, it's so, so hard. And I think it's, and I have a lot of empathy for that feeling too, like mm-hmm. just being like a first generation college grad and stuff. Like I had a lot of pressure too and went into engineering first cause I was like, I need a job. Yeah. Um, yeah. And glad I switched my major for sure, but it was really scary. So I do have a lot of empathy for that.
0: The the description that starts many of your bios is that you're a queer artist from is it Appalachia or Appalachia?
1: I think both are fine. So okay. whichever you feel.
0: How do you pronounce it?
1: I used to say Appalachia, and then I started saying Appalachia without really realizing it. Interesting. So now okay. I say Appalachia.
0: Um so and and so my sense is that. Those three things are very like intrinsic to how you think of yourself as an artist and a person. I think a lot of people would have the gut reaction to really unfairly impose like a Hollywood screenwriter narrative that like your queerness and your artistness is at odds with your where you grew up and your background in the sense of like. That you almost like left that or rebelled against that or put it in the rearview mirror to like find a more accepting community in the city. But I don't get that sense from you that those things are at odds. I feel like that's all connected.
1: You know, some of what you said is, has truth in it. I mean, I think being queer where I'm from is still kind of tough, um... And though like some of my family is really accepting, including my mom, shout out to my mom. Some of them really aren't at all. And it was definitely, um, definitely challenging. So there is a sense of leaving, finding other community Mm -hmm. and that being really awesome for me. But also something that kind of happened whenever I moved to Boston, because I that was the first time I left Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. I studied undergrad like 20 minutes from where I grew up which is a little town called Blandberg, Pennsylvania. <laughs> wow. Just had to say Blandberg on on the air because you have to. Um,
0: <laughs> Talk about Hollywood screenwriting. Like You couldn't put that in a... If you put that in the script, they'd say, that's a placeholder. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yep. But kind of what happened when I left and came to Boston was like a huge culture shock. Mm-hmm. Um, where... I realized that like I was one of like maybe two kind of more rural folks um, and just folks that kind of were like first gen or like maybe had not left their little hometown and stuff like Mm -hmm. that until recently. It was just kind of like this wake up call where I would hear people even like in my art program, which you'd think that they would do a little better, but like, sort of generalizing people from rural areas. Mm -hmm. This was also during the Trump election when I was in grad school. Oh, wow. So there was a lot of people just totally um, talking down about, like people from Appalachia.
0: Right. And
1: I was often kind of being like, hey, so Appalachia is like a very, very diverse and also massive... Like, right, it's a huge region, region that literally yeah. stretches from, like, Georgia to Maine. Right, and, like, like, right. It's not, like, just a giant lump of hillbillies. I kind of, like, started to feel like I wanted to speak a little bit from, like, my experience yeah. in Appalachia and wanted to um, shine light on it and bring humanity to folks a bit. Clearly, like... Even in like some quote unquote progressive art program, there's a lot of stereotypes that, right. that still happen.
0: So I grew up in the Boston area, and uh, I grew up in the suburbs of Boston. So like in the like elitist part of in the kind of an elitist city, a lot of us who have, especially on the left, who have these stereotypes, we like lump in the idea of, oh, people in so and so region are intolerant. And then we just are like, well then it's okay to just lump all these other stereotypes on top as mm-hmm. this one thing. You said like you started to want to humanize the people you you grew up with and are related mm-hmm. to. How did you start that process?
1: Yeah, one of the first things I did was I well I started doing more research about where I was from. Because you know, I had never really done that before. Yeah, because I was always there. Right. I was like, this is just where I live. We're like,
0: I, I saw it. There, there's a lake over there, yeah, and a,
1: beautiful mountains a house over here. Yeah, yeah. I did started doing like more research and kind of taking interest in my own culture. Mm. Not long after that, I did some um, interviews with some of my family members, and I recorded the interviews. And then also, I did this project that. technically still ongoing it just kind of keeps going and going um called sewing conversations and that project is a social practice where i bring people together to sit and sew and talk and it's casual but you're using both hands so it's kind of Mm -hmm. impossible to be on your phone and you're just kind of talking Uh, and sitting together and i started that project also at home i did it with my grandma and i did it with my mom and my brother and um, with my other grandma and my uncle who has Down syndrome and like a bunch of people. That project was also a way to kind of bring my family together a bit and just talk and then to kind of bring that, which is also kind of an Appalachian tradition of quilting, like quilting circles, mm-hmm. and then bringing that kind of concept out into the world.
0: What were some of the biggest surprises about where you came from once you were like, oh, I'm actually going to look into it?
1: Well, one of the big surprises for me so was I so I interviewed two men in my family who one who was a coal miner and then one who at the time was still coal mining mm-hmm. and he was my cousin who was like younger than me. Something that surprised me a little bit, which maybe I shouldn't have so much, was like how much they loved their job. Like mm. they talked so much about the sense of community it gave them. And like friendship and all of these tender things that I think are completely stripped away and how we think about that type of work, which, of course, is like coal. There's no question. Like coal is terrible for the environment. Right. All of these things. Like I'm not saying, yay, coal mining. Like it's terrible. And often the workers are treated terribly as well. And like unions have all broken down for the most part. It's not good. But something I care about a lot is that human element of like, well, hold on, though. like right. This means a lot to people and also like in an area where there is so much poverty and so few jobs where you can like earn a comfortable wage. Like that's right. one of the few ones or right. was historically.
0: One so. important thing to learn, too, because I think the gut reaction would be like, um, you know, all of those things you said, that are true. But then also we're like, and everyone would just rather be doing something else. So just shut it down. and. Mm-hmm. And there's so much more to it than
1: that. There's so much more to it. Like you can't just treat these people like they are cogs in a machine because mm-hmm. they're not. And also and then on top of it, of course, like folks, I think the whole industry, including workers, which doesn't even make sense, but all of them got quite villainized in liberal circles mm-hmm. because of sort of the Trump connection yeah. to, to that. <laughs> so Right. Yeah.
0: It it sounds like um your explorations down these roads and even just where you came from. Um, and you know the the mix of um, things that are part of your identity allow you for both the challenge and excitement of more both and thinking mm-hmm. in a sense. Is that something you feel like is missing in certain communities, even maybe in like artist communities in Boston, for instance?
1: Mm-hmm. I do. yeah. Yes to that. I do notice it quite a bit in academia, especially whenever academics and this I'm saying this partly because this is a lot of people I hang out with now are mm-hmm. academics. Yeah. Talking about like politics, there is so much either or. I mean, and I do feel like often I because of that connection and, you know, despite like being like a very progressive person politically, mm-hmm. um, I still feel like there is more of a I can't think of the word. Um, subtlety, I guess. Like there's, it's not always like a binary, of course. And I like to bring, try to bring that up when I can.
0: Do your feelings get hurt in these situations sometimes? Or or are there moments where you have like an angst, like a time when, do I bring something up? Do I just ignore that comment?
1: Yeah, do my feelings get hurt? I think sometimes, yes. Like sometimes I'll get that kind of like, a little bit of like a gut punch feeling of like Mm. someone just insulted my family.
0: Right, right.
1: And friends and like, um, and so, yeah, I do almost always speak up now. Right. There was probably a time where I didn't um, as much because I might not have had the ideas as fully formed or had been quite as confident about it. But now I I do all the time.
0: What kind of reactions are you met with? And and I I guess I'm specifically asking about what I think you're describing, which is spaces where these are your colleagues and potentially friends and people who probably align politically with you in general. Like, what kind of reactions do you get when you speak up more about um, about your background or your family?
1: I think often the response I get is that people soften very quickly. Mm. Sometimes people will double down and right. still think that they know what's best for, like, <laughs> an entire, like, culture or region or something or, like...
0: Do you feel like there's any of that on the other side? Like, when you go, um, you know, when you spend time where you grew up or in places like where you grew up, Mm -hmm. is there a flip side where you also have to do that work on the other side? Um,
1: Yes, these things come up a little bit. But what I've noticed is that my family tends to not talk about politics, Ah. or at least around me. And I think, you know, my family that I'm still in touch with, they're like, they know that I'm progressive and they know that I'm queer, but they don't they don't talk about it, which is also kind of hard.
0: Yeah they, yeah. they kind
1: of just like love me a lot, but they don't <laughs> talk about that. And right. so um, but sometimes things do come up, like someone might say something that definitely is like anti-trans or something. And I'll say something. Yeah, um,
0: yeah,
1: And that is that is hard as well.
0: What um has been your journey with like bringing uh your different identities into your work or or has it just sort of happened subconsciously?
1: I've been thinking about this a lot with disappearing acts where I haven't written like a proper proper quote unquote <laughs> artist statement about right. it yet and so I am still kind of figuring out <laughs> Like what it is that I've been thinking about and what it's about. Like I have some ideas that I know, but I'm also like, huh, what (laughs) does this mean? Um, Or, and this is also totally valid, like is the project about experimentation Mm. and like visuals and aesthetics and trickery as well as the other things? Like, and is that kind of where I'm going? And I do ultimately think if I... If and when I do sit down and write more about it, it will probably be really productive and yeah. and interesting and introspective. And I like that. Um, but usually it's coming from an outside source, being like, Yeah, we need to hear more about this for this sh- exhibition or something or right. for this residency.
0: Do you do you struggle like on a scale of one to ten, ten being the easiest, one being the hardest, like What's the ease of writing about your work for things like artist statements or film festival entries or things like that?
1: Wait, you're doing one as hardest and 10? No, that's easiest? bad.
0: Let's I'm going to let's see. A 10 is the hardest. One is the easiest. That's easier. Right.
1: Or yeah, just I you don't so. have to
0: put a number. I don't care. is what a long way of asking. <laughs> is it hard to write about yourself?
1: Sometimes I like a scale that doesn't mean a lot. It's kind of just like funny. (laughs) Okay. You know, I share that. You can just like have a scale and be like, that's what it is. Yeah. The scale that we just made up. I'm going to give it a 7.5 because I have written a bunch of artist statements in my life already so far. Like, I feel like I'm always writing and revising and writing proposals. And there's so much writing, as you know. Oh, yeah. And so, I often feel like, I don't know if you get in this space, I'd be curious to hear, or I'll be like, am I even myself anymore? Like, am I even (laughs) writing about me? Or am I writing about an idea of me? Like, sometimes I'll get psyched out and I'm like, is what's on the page real to me?
0: I totally get that. (laughs) And for me, it's it's actually gets like, I feel like I I get split up because if I'm applying for like a grant or a residency, I'm writing more about like the artist side of me, but then Let's say I'm offering like a kid's cartooning class or something and I, they need a bio. Then I have to be like the wacky neighborhood like cartoon man, which I am. I am also that. So yeah, I do trip out on that. Of You put it best. Is this me or like what is this? Who is this guy?
1: What you are is the wacky local cartoon man and the sneaky boy. You're right. <laughs> no, but... <laughs>
0: Alex Salzberg is a sneaky boy who uh, <laughs> has worked for WGBH. <laughs>
1: Boy, B-O-I as well. Oh, God. (laughs) Sneaky boy. Um, Yeah, I'm never going to forget that, sneaky boy. Um,
0: On that topic of representing yourself, I want to steer into a new area that is also going to steer into one thing I'm going through. This might be weird, but I want to kind of gush about your social media presence, specifically your Instagram presence. So from the outside feels weirdly effortless. Like, I never feel like, oh my God, Sarah's oversharing. I'm cringing at that. But I also never feel like you have that veneer of like that vlogger, like what I ate in a day, you know? And it, and it's also like represents a really whole picture of both your art and your life in a way that feels connected, um, but effortlessly, like someone could fully get to know you like they know about your cat and your mom and your love life, but they also like know about your art and your interests. And then, I don't know, it feels rare to strike that balance, but what does it feel like from the inside as the person creating that Mm. social media presence?
1: It's so interesting to hear how I'm perceived by you, my (laughs) friend, on Instagram. I had a conversation with someone, I don't think it was you, so the way the, I, the reason I'm second guessing that is because <laughs> you're saying something similar that I think a different friend said which is that they were like you are a person who matches your Instagram okay. persona and I, I don't, don't know if you think that but I don't
0: think we've talked about it but okay. I do feel that way you yeah. do match in a sense cool Instagram's not the whole picture of who you are right. but
1: that's interesting so I can talk a little bit about just my own like, anxieties about Instagram that are mostly not a thing anymore, Mm -hmm. but I, I definitely remember feeling like, oh, like this Instagram needs to be only my art or something. Yeah. yeah. And then I was kind of like, at a certain point, I was second guessing that where I'm like, why does, why though? (laughs) Like I'm a whole person. I also want to talk about things that are important to me in my identity, like my like queerness, for example, my sort of, um, rural background and stuff like that, like I, I sort of realized that like, well, why shouldn't I be showing a holistic view as much as I Mm -hmm. can? So then I, I did kind of just start being more authentic, I think, to like what I really wanted to be showing people, basically.
0: I think two common things that people have with social media, myself included, are a, the pressure to post content, for lack of a better word. And then also the anxiety about pushing post on something, to what extent do you feel either of those two things? Like the pressure to keep that fireplace going with more logs? And then secondary, like when you are posting, is it sort of like, oh yeah, and that goes up and that goes up? Or is there that like, okay... I'm I'm miming for anyone listening like (laughs) a phone and a finger going towards it. The anxiety over like second guessing what you're going to post, the actual thing, especially if it's more either personal or like a piece of art that you're sharing, which can also be very vulnerable.
1: I don't feel I don't usually feel too anxious about posting my art um, generally. Whenever things are a little more personal, I do sometimes second guess myself a little bit. And I think a little bit of that is, like, thinking... And this is fine with me, but, like, sometimes if I post... Like, for example, when I have posted a picture of me and my partner, Sam, I've lost a few followers. But I'm like, well, whoever these people were, they were probably just (laughs) gross dudes who wanted to, like, look at my pictures. Like, probably. And were, like, disappointed that I'm not straight or something. Right. (laughs) But when that happens... It's interesting because I find myself almost bummed, but then I'm immediately like, no, but if people are like right. <laughs> transphobic or something or like homophobic, I don't want them to look at my right. stuff anyways. Sometimes I think about that stuff a little mm. bit. Then there's also like, there's so much more support than the opposite. Like there might be a couple of random people, but then there might be like a hundred of my friends are like
0: cute, right. you know? and right, so, right.
1: Like that's so much better, but it's so easy to focus on the negative, of course, where you're like, Oh, one person. (laughs) It's like, no, all my friends are like sending me hearts.
0: Right. It's adorable. I think that's a good segue into one thing. I'm I say going through it. I don't I'm not, you know, losing sleep over this, but it it is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. So I'm in a weird place with social media, particularly Instagram, because that's what I've also, like you, I think been most active on the past Four or five years or so. So I have not been very active on Instagram lately. I've been an active viewer. I still look at it every day. I still have the addiction. But um, I deeply miss the effects of being active on social media, everything from the shallow ones, getting likes, getting attention, like having that little number go up. Um, and then most of all, like I um, miss like the the deeper effects of being active on social media like i miss um connecting with a wide community of people i miss staying in touch with people through social media which is something i think i used used to happen when i posted more weirdly which is which is a kind of problematic in a sense um mm-hmm. that i have to <laughs> feed that fireplace to like talk to people yeah. i miss like you said the the cute little moments from other artists or other friends which yeah. is so it seems em- empty but it's not um Mm-mm. but then there's this weird flip side where i do not at all miss everything up to posting. I don't miss the process. I'm, and I would say, I don't think my Instagram was ever as um good or seemingly effortless as yours, but I would say I struck a similar balance for a long time of art and personal in that mm-hmm. I was equally as likely to post a fun picture of like me and a friend or me and a partner or me at the beach or me cooking dinner and then also like a cartoon I'm working mm-hmm. on, often in the same sitting. I don't miss that side of it. I don't miss trying to remember to take pictures in the moment yeah. to share later. Um, I don't miss the feeling of perceived urgency, which I'm actually curious if you have of like, I didn't post anything today, or I haven't posted in a week. I don't miss like editing and choosing pictures. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I really don't miss. Uh, feeling stressed about asking other people, hey, yeah, when you have a chance, send, can you send me those pictures from today? Like, I definitely don't feel like I need them exactly right now to post. Like, because <laughs> tomorrow it'll be too late because this happened today. Just anytime, you know, like, I don't miss that. But I, I, I miss all the results of it. And I find myself maybe overthinking, like, how much I want to go back to the things I don't miss to maybe fall back in love with the things I do miss about social media.
1: Yeah. I mean, I relate to that. I have a little bit of anxiety that I haven't posted pictures of this exhibition I was in. At right. the museum. And like, I, I probably yeah. will post something in the next couple of days. But I, what I've kind of come to is like, you know what? It doesn't need to be right when it's happening. Mm -hmm. Even though I think Instagram, that's like what they want you to do. I'm just like, it's fine. Like I can post it in a week or two and it's fine.
0: What are your, if any, what are your goals with social media?
1: Definitely promotion. Definitely thinking about sharing exhibitions or artist talks. I mean, honestly, like if I get an award or something and I want to share that excitement, I love to do that on there. Right. Um, and also to do that for other people. Like I'm always I just think it's like can be a really sweet Yeah. little thing. It's definitely about like creating and maintaining kind of connections because that's the other thing like with friends that are already my friends that I see in person, but also like I have internet friends who I've never yeah, met. Same, And same. that's super cool. Or yeah. like there's even been instances where an online connection turns into a real life thing, like right. in the art world or something.
0: Absolutely. Right? There, I would say some of my favorite connections that social media has helped with are the category of people I met once at a thing. And yeah. those are people that without Instagram, I may not even remember their name anymore, yeah. but because we, through mutual posting or appreciation, that almost took the place of like, if I had seen them three more times and we talked about what we had in common, seeing this snapshot of their lives and being like, oh, I do have something in common with this person. Mm-hmm. And that can lead to really great friendships or professional connections. I I think acquaintanceship is underrated. I think a lot of people are like, Either we're good friends or we're nothing. And I think there's actually something really special about people where you're like, we may only talk once a year or once every two years, but like, I'm rooting for you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like what you're about. And I think social media is cool at that. Mm-hmm. So let's go to our lightning round. Your answers don't have to be that fast. It's three questions. Uh, the first is, what is something you have learned the hard way, but you're glad you learned it the hard way?
1: Um, I have a couple scenarios where I'm like, I learned the hard way, but it was actually really bad and I wish I knew ahead of time, but mm-hmm. taking a class to teach where I don't know all the things and then having to teach myself the things mm-hmm. along the way and that being really stressful, but then feeling really accomplished that I learned a lot. Right.
0: So you mean t- becoming the teacher for a class yeah. where you have to essentially learn everything ahead of time. or Yes, or,
1: like you're teaching VFX and you know half of the stuff. <laughs> Can you teach the rest of it? And me right. being like, totally. And then having to mm-hmm. learn all of it and stressing out and just like spending hours and hours learning a new skill, but then being like, but damn, now I know like a lot about yeah. After Effects. That's cool.
0: I love that. I mean, I found honestly, you know, life gets busy it's kind of hard to learn something new unless you have to. Yes. And and then the flip side of that question, which it sounds like you maybe have a few potential answers to, are, is what is something you learn the hard way where you would have been happy to learn it the easy way? Or you're happy for one of our listeners to be like, glad I learned that from the podcast instead of how Sarah learned it. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes. The first thing that comes to mind is, ooh, so... Collaborating with an artist and sort of learning the hard way about setting boundaries Mm -hmm. and um, taking note of like red flags from the person that you are working with slash for. Yeah. And sort of how important it is to have communication ahead of time during and also like on paper in addition to verbal and just like the whole like structure of collaborating and how that can really um, go off the rails, basically, Mm -hmm. depending on who you're working with. And I learned that the hard way.
0: What is maybe even just one red flag that you wish you had known before to look for?
1: Someone who I think doesn't give you really, really, really clear, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) goals, super clear goals. I mean, it's just kind of like rolling with with things.
0: I found that sometimes seems like a green flag when someone's like, oh, yeah, we'll figure it out. It'll yeah, be great. I'm just so excited to work with you. And it's like, oh, no, that means I'm going to have to figure it out.
1: Yes, exactly. And or, or and or that they just they don't know maybe what yeah. it's going to be. And it could change drastically. Right. And you're already in the
0: middle of it. Last lightning round question before we wrap up. What is your favorite thing to do that has nothing to do with art, animation, filmmaking?
1: One of my favorite things to do, as you know from my Instagram, (laughs) is hang out with my cat. Cuddling with her, watching a movie with her, taking her on a walk. Right. It brings me so much happiness.
0: Your cat is a a cat that is seems comfortable on a leash that you can yeah. take on walks um, <laughs> like a, you would more traditionally do with a dog mm-hmm. um yeah. yeah how did you do <laughs> How did you
1: do that It' was yeah. a cat training podcast. Now. She's an adventure cat. Uh, her name's Nessie. she's named after the artist Agnes Martin. I got her to enjoy the harness by getting her like a baby harness when she was really little. Mm. so she was like a very tiny kitten when i adopted her and i got her a little harness to practice with and just put it on her a bunch and she just kittens just kind of like puppies they'll just like they're like whatever it's cool (laughs) and she associated it with fun like right outside now when i put her harness on she purrs and she's oh wow and she runs to the door and sits at the doormat so you, you've basically
0: engineered the best of both worlds <laughs> with cats and dogs in that she yeah. is potty trained like a cat. Yep. Um. So you don't have to take her on a walk, but you have a companion for your adventures, which I which is, I think, what's really fun about dogs.
1: Amazing. And she fits in the backpack. She has a cat backpack.
0: Oh, like is it one of those like clear ones? <laughs> it doesn't where, have the dome. Uh, no. It's like a
1: mesh one. Um. But either way, it's like I can put her in yeah. my backpack and just... Uh, walk around and then let her out and walk her, and it's super fun.
0: You're creating, I think, some of the most whimsical moments in one's life is when you're like in line at a coffee shop and then you look down and realize the person in front of you is wearing a cat backpack. Yeah. It just creates a little magic for everyone around you.
1: Totally. Yeah. Like she brings a lot of people smiles and like giggles, and it's really cute when we're out and about. Nice. All right. If uh, <laughs>
0: someone, had just listened to me gush for 20 minutes about your social media and was like, I want to follow their social media. (laughs) Like, that sounds awesome. Uh, Where do they go?
1: Yeah, my Instagram handle is at Sarah Museum. So it's just Sarah as an S-A-R-A-H museum.
0: What if they want to follow Nessie?
1: Oh my gosh. Nessie does have an Instagram and it's Nessie underscore the adventure cat. Nessie the adventure cat. But you could find her on my Instagram. <laughs> and a-
0: anything else you want to plug? Any other places you want to direct Sarah traffic?
1: I mean, I have a website, um, which is my name, e. com. From there, you can see most of my work, which is publicly up on Vimeo. I usually do keep the the old Instagram updated, so yeah, let's let's be friends on there if you you listeners want to find All me. Right. Yeah,
0: she's a good follow. Trust me. If <laughs> if I didn't convince you already, <laughs> um, okay, Sarah, thank you for being on this podcast that I haven't named yet, but hopefully have by the time it's out.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Alex. This was super nice. All right. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for letting me share this lovely conversation with you. And uh, thanks to everyone who has been listening to all of these conversations. I've gotten so many nice messages about what's resonating with people. um, And it really, really means a lot when you reach out. So don't hesitate. If you like something or if you're going through something, send me a DM on Instagram. As usual, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, It's a brand new podcast. I'm not a famous person. So uh, if you take the time to do those things, it it can actually really help organically grow the audience, get more people to listen to these great conversations. Uh, This episode was recorded at CCTV in Cambridge, Mass. Thanks to the team there. Thank you to Adam Salzberg for mixing the audio and helping get it to your ears. The theme music is by Typist, Adam's solo project. Uh, Definitely check out his other work as Typist. That's all. Stay tuned for our next episode in two weeks. Bye.